0: it's wednesday february 5th i'm oscar ramirez in los angeles and this is the daily dive president trump has delivered his third state of the union address in a busy political week that will see him acquitted in the impeachment trial in the senate with a theme of the great american comeback president trump touted his accomplishments and also had a few made for tv moments when he awarded a young girl a scholarship and reunited a soldier with his family Judy Kurtz, in-the-know columnist at The Hill, joins us for the top takeaways from the State of the Union. Next, the Iowa caucus has turned into a huge mess for the Democratic Party. A new app meant to speed up the reporting of caucus results failed spectacularly, and the Iowa Democratic Party said it was due to a coding error. It wasn't until the following day that results from 62% of the precincts were reported, and it showed former Mayor Pete Buttigieg in the lead, followed by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Amy Klobuchar. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, was on the ground in Iowa while this all played out and joins us for how it all went down. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Our borders are secure. Our families are flourishing. Our values are renewed. Our pride is restored. And for all of these reasons, I say to the people, of our great country and to the members of Congress, the state of our union is stronger than ever before. Joining us now is Judy Kurtz, in the know columnist at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Judy.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. President Trump gave his third State of the Union address with the theme of the Great American Comeback Uh, I thought he did a a pretty decent job, kind of stuck to the script. The elephant in the room was whether he was going to mention impeachment at all. And he did not. uh, As I said, he stuck to the script. But it did start off uh, a little with a little ambiguity uh, when he when President Trump walked in and handed the copies of his speech to Vice President Mike Pence and Speaker Nancy Pelosi Nancy Pelosi went in kind of for a little handshake and the president just turned around. We don't know if he ignored her or whatnot. He also didn't shake the hand of uh, Mike Pence, but that's kind of how this whole night started.
1: Yeah, it started out with the snub or no snub, as you mentioned. Um, Did he not see her extend her hand for a handshake? Was he intentionally uh, not going to shake her hand given uh, what's going on with the Senate trial and impeachment, uh, although he's likely to be acquitted tomorrow? Um, It it did start off with a little bit of a question mark in terms of how is this going to go? I think for a lot of the president's allies who had probably privately urged him to stick to the script and um, not go stray from his prepared remarks. They're breathing a sigh of relief um, after that speech, after that address, because he, he didn't ad lib, which is um, unusual for him in a campaign rally setting. Um, he likes to go off script. In this case, with the Save the Union address, he definitely stuck to his prepared remarks.
0: Yeah, I mean, the third year in, obviously, it seems like he's hit a stride with this very straightforward, sticking to the accomplishments, uh, you know, economic growth, energy production, the trade deals, obviously, how uh, he has been on on foreign policy. So uh, really, this was the kickoff to his reelection. He stuck to all the major points. Uh, Were there any big highlights that you noticed from his speech?
1: (laughs) Well, he certainly focused on um, things he likes to talk about, like the economy, the military. He made a lot of appeals to his base when it comes to religion and guns, immigration. Um, but look, this was a political speech. And In an election year, uh, the State of the Union address, although it's a constitutional uh, requirement, it becomes a, a campaign tactic and a political speech. Um, he did throw in some references to America First, which is one of his... His 2020 reelection campaign themes. Um, he also used the same phrase that he uh, used in an ad that aired during the Super Bowl: "The best is yet to come." That was one of his big applause lines uh, during the speech. So uh, it was definitely a- approached as not only uh, you know addressing Congress and lawmakers as he's required to do, but as a, a campaign speech that he's delivering to the. Black.
0: Yeah, there was a couple of digs uh, at the Democrats. It seemed like veiled digs, right? Uh, he said socialism destroys nations, but freedom replenishes the soul. And specifically with healthcare, he said. There will be no socialist takeover of healthcare. care. Uh, we won't let socialism destroy American healthcare. And he said, you know, there was over 130 legislators in that chamber that had signed on to something like this to for, you know, Medicare for all type of thing or something. So there were some attacks to Democrats, although not, you know, 100 percent directly.
1: Yeah, it's unusual for Trump. Usually he doesn't go for the not-so-veiled shots, particularly at his political rivals. Um, But we didn't hear any of the, uh, you know, the famous, buzzwords that he likes to use like hoax like witch hunt do nothing democrats that wasn't part of the speech at all and he did take for him again you know these veiled shots at 2020 candidates including health care as you mentioned i think at one point he said we'll never let socialism destroy american yeah. health care clearly a uh, shot at some of his 2020 rivals
0: we know that the president is a showman uh, from his reality TV days and and beyond, obviously, there were a few made for TV moments that you know it was all in the special guests that they invited to the White House. He gave a young girl a scholarship to attend a school of her choice. There was a Tuskegee Airman there, and his grandson who wanted to go into the Space Force. Rush Limbaugh, who was just uh, had just announced that he had uh, ca- lung cancer, was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And at the very end, to really cap everything off, the president reunited a soldier who had been uh, in Afghanistan, his fourth tour in the Middle East. Uh, he reunited him with his family. And those moments right there really just drove home the points that the president was trying to make.
1: Absolutely. And they're memorable. And it's a takeaway for the viewer. I mean, Trump is a showman and he knows reality television. He knows uh What works on TV. Um, Melania Trump, as you mentioned, presenting Rush Limbaugh with the Medal of Freedom. Not only is it highly unusual. I don't know if it's ever happened um, at a State of the Union address, but it, it was certainly uh, quite a memorable moment. Um, And then of course the military spouse that you mentioned was one of the few actually unifying moments of the night um, for, you know, in in partisan and highly polarized Washington uh, for both Republicans and Democrats to be standing and um, the crowd breaking into chants of USA, USA during that moment um, was certainly uh, a special time.
0: Very much so, I mean, it was a sweet moment. He started off by talking about uh, it was start His name was Sergeant Williams and his wife, Amy, uh, you know, working full time, taking care of the kids. And, you know, everybody loves these types of reunions. And then, boom, there he is walking to give his family a hug. It was a pretty special moment that I mean, you I don't really see these in a State of the Union address. So uh, it, it, that was very nice. And like you said, very memorable moment. But throughout the speech, you did see the division. Of uh, of America, maybe the just you know the chamber and the legislators there front and center. We always take note of who's standing when and who's applauding when, who's sitting down, and, and things that the president is saying. And even Nancy Pelosi, you can see her right behind the president. Obviously, there was a lot of head shakes and things like that. Um, so all of this stuff was very evident throughout the entire speech.
1: Yeah, the moments of unity were uh, very fleeting, to say the least, and a handful of lawmakers. Um, Congressman Pascrell, Tim Ryan, actually walked out of the State of the Union. Uh, Tim Ryan said it was, uh, to him, all fake, like watching professional wrestling. And I think even for all these sort of made-for-TV moments that Trump created during the speech, one of the uh, you know things that people are going to be talking about the most actually came at the end of uh, his address and might be the story of the night, and that was nancy pelosi appearing to rip up a copy of uh trump's prepared remarks
0: yeah it was very interesting and we'll definitely be hearing more and you know people dig into the speech and fact checking and all this stuff so we'll definitely hear more about this judy kurtz in the know columnist at the hill thank you very much for joining us
1: thanks so much for having me
0: Reporting of the results and circumstances surrounding the 2020 Iowa Democratic uh, Party caucuses were unacceptable. As chair of the party, I apologize deeply for this. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, what a night. They were calling it the Iowa debacle, the Iowa caucus disaster. It was quite a mess after the Iowa Democratic Party couldn't get their stuff together with the new app they were using to record all of the results from the caucuses. A day later, finally, we have some of the results, not even complete results. We have 62 percent of precincts reporting in the state. Ginger, let's start off with the numbers. What do we know from the vote totals?
2: That's right. At about four o'clock central local time here in Iowa, the state party finally released some of the results um, that we have from Monday Night's Caucus. 62% of precincts its precincts all over the state. However, um, our first looks at them seems to be more heavily concentrated in rural areas, so pr- not a lot of urban districts. Um, and in these early results, surprising a lot of people, uh, former South Bend Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg is leading. He has the most uh, what they call state delegate equivalent. So uh, it's a very complicated math problem that decides who wins Iowa, and uh, at this point, Buttigieg is leading that that uh, math equation with the understanding that the districts that haven't reported are more likely to be heavily Sanders. And so margin is so small there, we could see Sanders as we get more results sort of come back and and take the victory.
0: And we don't know exactly when the party will release the rest of the precinct. So we'll have to wait for that at the time of the recording of this podcast. Those are the numbers we have. Buttigieg has 26.9%. Sanders, 25.1%. Senator Elizabeth Warren, 18.3%. And Joe Biden at 15.6%. The other set of numbers that they released, and this was the first time that they were doing it, and a lot of people say this also added to the confusion of all this, they released the numbers, the so-called popular vote numbers of the first round, and then the final round after people have stood in somebody's camp, they said they're not a viable candidate, they have to move to another camp. And then that's the final number that determines the percentage. They also released those. And the interesting part of that is in the first count, Bernie Sanders ended up on top. That's right. We've long suspected
2: that Bernie Sanders uh, would lead that first count number. Um, What this may be uh, anecdotally uh, on the ground, I saw four different precincts last night caucus um, that places where Amy Klobuchar and Joe Biden were not viable and their supporters had to cast a second choice, uh, that Buttigieg benefited greatly from those. And that's why we see him with uh, that delegate lead, that, that state delegate equivalent lead, uh, and, and not having won the popular vote on that first count, possibly what we know based on numbers uh, at this point on Tuesday <laughs> afternoon.
0: So we'll have to wait to see who the ultimate winner there is. But let's get back to the main part of this. Really, Iowa as the central player in all of this, where the debacle happened, everything fell apart. I mean, it was kind of exciting to watch this on TV because the breakdown was so huge. You were covering the caucuses in Iowa. You were at the Biden headquarters there. Tell me how it played out for you there. You know,
2: we uh, sort of the big speculation among reporters and journalists going into it is what time do we get to go to the bar uh, or to bed after it's over? Um, And so many people had thought, no way we go past midnight. Uh, And in 2008, uh, what was a competitive race between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton? it had been decided by 9.30. Uh, so at about 9, 9.30, when we had no results, you started to see the reporters really sort of trying to figure out what was going on, uh, why there was a breakdown, why we didn't know any precincts at all. Um, shortly after that, by 10 o'clock, the party started to acknowledge there was a technical problem. At this point, um, the the fans of the candidates are sort of milling around. They're at the bar. They're getting snacks. No one's, no one's panicked yet. Uh, our, we're telling our editors, like, oh, I'm sure we'll still be out of here by midnight. Uh, and at about 11 o'clock, it became clear that that was not going to be the case. Uh, we heard before that the candidates start getting up and giving their speeches. Um, and for someone like Biden, who looks like he will finish in fourth place, which is a really disappointing finish uh, for the former vice president, he was able to get up and give a pretty upbeat speech to sound pretty optimistic because we didn't know he had come in fourth place at that time.
0: Right. I was watching this all unfold at home on TV. I was flipping through all the channels, just trying to see how everybody was covering this thing. And you can really see the increasing kind of dread coming from reporters and anchors just like not really knowing what's happening. Even in the Chirons, it started saying results delayed, reasons unclear, and it started sounding more sinister and sinister as the night went on. And we know now that Pete Buttigieg is in the lead, but I thought it was a spectacular when Amy Klobuchar and her camp decided, you know what, we're just going to go out there and give a speech. And obviously she didn't fare as well as some of the other candidates, but... In my head, when she came out first and just delivered the speech, whatever it was, I was like, well, she gets all my attention right now. You know, you're winning this night as of right now to me.
2: Yes, she looked and sounded like a winner. Um, Might not be viable to pick up any statewide delegates, uh, but for a little while, I think in the minds of a lot of people, Amy Klobuchar sounded like she won the Iowa caucuses. Um, I think the same with uh, Pete Buttigieg, who uh, has declared victory twice now, uh, once on Monday night and once on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, He could still be in second place, but he's going to have a good 24 hours in which uh, he's walking around talking like he won. Right.
0: Right. Okay. The app. Everybody can agree it was a spectacular failure. They said it was a coding error. Results were going in accurately, as reports were saying, but they were only getting partial results out of this. What do we know about who developed this app? Why were they using it this time? And just more about why it failed. This app had been developed
2: by a company, a vendor. Um, There were questions of the state party, why it hadn't been adequately tested, why it wasn't uh, the, the, f- the failures of the coding hadn't been located before, uh, they sort of said, you know, it was unacceptable, this is a problem. Uh, but we don't know exactly why this was able to go live uh, on Monday night when it was clearly not working um, and not going to work. Uh, but as you said, there was a coding error of some sort, um, compounded by the fact that we have to remember that these are 1,600 precinct captains who have to enter in all of this information. And let me um, let you in on a little secret. These aren't the young and tech savvy right, uh, right. who are volunteering. Uh, so there was a multitude of problems. People couldn't log in. They couldn't figure out how to get through the what was really a three-factor authentication process. Um, they couldn't get it to load. Uh, they couldn't get it to download. Um, a lot of problems along the way that ultimately culminated in the biggest problem, what you said, this coding error that just made it not work at all.
0: One of the precinct leaders said exactly what you had just said, that there wasn't a lot of training given out with how to use this app. So it was kind of new to a lot of people. And yes, the people that are volunteering, the people that are working there, maybe not the most tech savvy. So for them to use this brand new system to deliver these three new sets of data points that they wanted to give out this time, all in the effort to be more transparent, it just seemed like it was bound to fail. People had been saying there was problems, as you said, logging in and downloading these things before before the night even came. So that is troublesome there. And they're going to do an investigation to find out what went wrong. So we'll know more about that in the future. But now this has really drawn the whole entire Iowa caucus, first in the nations to vote on who a potential nominee could be, has called this whole thing into question. People are saying, Iowa shouldn't go first anymore. People are saying we should get rid of the entire caucus system because it's just confusing and inaccurate. And I think everybody's kind of agreeing on that front.
2: I think that what we're seeing, and I talked to Democratic strategists today, is that Democrats, particularly even more than Republicans, have been looking for a reason to get rid of the Iowa caucuses. Um, They find Iowa to not be the best state to go first. It's a state that's 90 percent white uh, and a Democratic Party that's 50 percent non-white. It is pretty rule out here in in Iowa, Um, and they have different priorities here in the state than the rest of the party. So had been an effort within the Democratic Party to sort of bounce Iowa from this uh, position as the first in the nation. Uh, And I think that they're saying, this is the nail in the coffin. This is the thing that's gonna just make it so untenable that they can't imagine in four years uh, that they'll be back again to have the first contest.
0: Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.